PC Perspective videos and podcasts are sponsored by Be Quiet and the all-new PureBase 500DX case. Featuring three PureWings 240mm fans, ARGB lighting, and USB 3.1 Gen 2 Type-C connectivity, the PureBase 500DX is optimized for maximum airflow with a sleek yet elegant design. Available now in black and white. Hey everyone, welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. Uh, this is episode 592 being recorded on a special Friday night, June 26th, 2020. I'm Jim Tannis. I'm Josh Walrath. Jeremy's not here. Yeah, it's throwing everybody off. I'm Sebastian Peak. I'm Brett Van Spruenberg. And since we're going to be talking about Apple a little bit tonight, I might wear my Walt Mossberg mask again. Oh, again. Okay. Well, well yes, yeah. as, uh, we'll have that to look forward to. Uh, as Josh uh, mentioned, and as you probably noticed on the video version, Jeremy's not here. It's just because it's a Friday. He had other obligations, so he'll be back next week. Uh, but we're glad you could join us. We record these once a week, usually on a Wednesday or Thursday. This week it had to be on a Friday because I'm, I'm move, moving in, into the new office, and I had to tear everything down and, and build it back up again, and we couldn't do it uh, earlier in the week. So, But we're glad you're here, and uh, you, if you want to join us when we do these live, you can head over to pcper.com slash live. We've got the embedded YouTube. You can also check out twitch.tv slash pcper. We simulcast to Twitch. Uh, and if you want to know when we go live, uh, for, especially for weeks like this where we're off schedule, head to pcper.com slash subscribe where you can join our mailing list and we'll let you know ahead of time uh, when uh, when we're going to go live. Uh, just to start the show real quick, uh, we do still have our Patreon campaign going at patreon.com slash pcper. And uh, as I mentioned in previous shows, we'll be changing that in the next couple of days here. I'm going to be doing it over the weekend. Uh, to accommodate Patreon's new sales tax thing. And we're doing, we're setting up the rewards to minimize sales tax. We don't have total control over that because that depends on where you live uh, in the U.S. at least, uh, based on how those states will, you know, view what a reward is and whether it's taxable. But we're going to do everything we can to make that uh, not a problem for you. And our, our ongoing uh, deal is if you become a new patron, you can send a message and I'll, I'll or, or if you increase your pledge I'll, and I'll read the message and uh, regardless of what it is, and, and so we have a message today from a new patron, Thomas Kennel, and Thomas would like us to say uh, that all lives matter. And now that's, I, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to uh, uh, make anyone upset, but, uh, you know, in, in a purely literal sense, that's a good message to have. Uh, so thank you, Thomas, for your support. And, uh, you know, we can reiterate that we, uh, we care about everyone and we just hope everyone's uh, doing well, regardless of uh, uh, circumstances and, and all the other stuff going on in the world today. But let's get into the show. So it feels like it's been a, a month, but it's only been a few days since Apple held its uh, WWDC virtual keynote on uh, Monday. And at that keynote, as we talked about in previous shows, they, as expected, announced the, well, a number of software updates, but the major announcement was the shift in, not to ARM, they didn't use ARM, but to shift to Apple Silicon, which is their ARM-based platform. They're going to be moving their Macs, uh, all of them, over the next two years to this new Apple-designed, ARM-based, Apple Silicon platform. Uh, so what do you guys think about what they announced? I know Brett has some thoughts here. Hey, for, first of all, the best thing about WWDC Virtual, there were not 300 Twitter accounts saying, this is me in line at WWDC. <laughs> 
Hey, Apple doesn't do still waiting in line for WWDC. <laughs> Apple says they don't do anything unless they're going to make a better product out of it. So, yeah, you can take them at their word that they, that this is going to be better uh, over time. Uh, remember that from an you know a CPU architecture perspective, they have sworn during the keynote presentation that they would continue to support Intel. And in fact, they have additional Intel. Um, we don't know what part of the line, but they have additional Intel-based computers still to come in the pipeline. So that's very likely uh, to carry an Intel-based Mac OS forward many, many years is what they said. My personal opinion is that uh, based on how they support their past um, computers for a period of time is that the T2 chip will probably determine the demarcation zone. So when a computer of theirs is five-ish years old that um, no longer has the T2 chip, you will probably start to see things fall off from an Intel support perspective. I think that's going to be the the demarcation line is is when you'll you'll stop seeing uh, that stuff continue to be supported. It's interesting to turn a clock back and I remember when they bought PA Semiconductor uh, some time ago and that they have been continuing to turn their system uh, on a chip for, I think it's, they said 10 generations or 10 years, I should say, 10 years of uh, development of their SOC. Um, and they've come a long way. Uh, today, they're basically on par with many uh, laptops from a uh, performance perspective, um, even graphics, even a GPU perspective. So they've definitely taken what they have gotten out of the crew from PA Semi and the people that they have had at Apple, and they've done a lot with it over 10 years. Um, their focus has been on uh, performance per watt, and you can't say that they haven't been able to really pull it off. Their performance per watt um, is tremendous, uh, and their SOC uh, for what it is that they're doing. Um, they have said that they have pulled a hundred X improvement over 10 years. And that actually shows in their earliest version of their iPhone to where they're at right now. Um, You can look at, um, I think cross-platform Geekbench will, will bear that out. If you take a look at that, they've, uh, they've managed to do that. And in comparison between that and, and uh, typical laptops, you'll see that uh, they're better than a lot of the laptops are, especially when you look at some of their iPad offerings, those chips, the X series, in their iPad chips, um, their SOC X series, better than a lot of laptops. So it's um, it's really something that they've managed to pull off. I think they're shooting for um, a common architecture across all of their devices, their phones, their intelligent pieces of glass in the iPad and uh, the laptops. They say, and I can't argue with this, that it's going to make developing software a heck of a lot easier. And uh, with a single deployment target and the ability to run um, a version of that uh, that software across any Apple device that you pick up, you can't say that isn't uh, seemingly an advantage. So they've definitely yeah. got that going for them. It's a really tight integration that they have between their software and their hardware. I'd like to throw it back to you guys, get some thoughts on it, and then I want to maybe talk about some of their fat binary so who is running this podcast all of a sudden can <laughs> i rebut most of what you just said really quick here you um, can you can tell all, me how awful they are no uh <laughs> i feel like 
in a way, and I know you talked about how this is going to make things easier for development because you can have that single, it's a single code base, it's a single architecture across all platforms for them. Sure. But it does fragment, it's going to cause fragmentation because not only are they going to continue, at least for the time being, supporting Intel systems, deploying Intel systems and their lineup, but it you create, like for a while, there was literally one iPhone. And then it was replaced by another iPhone. In recent times, we've had three or even four models of iPhone concurrently, maybe with two to three SOCs between them, because they'll they'll generally drop the oldest. Like right now, I don't know if you can buy anything older than an iPhone 8, or can you even buy an iPhone 8 anymore as the budget phone? And then you have an iPhone 11 as a less expensive phone. You have iPhone 12s, which share an SOC. And then on the note, notebook the ipad pro side you have basically the same cpu architecture but with enhanced graphics because they have a bigger thermal footprint and they can implement that in the ipads so it's i think it was everybody saw this coming and what's interesting to me about this is to think about um just compatibility and longevity like you were talking about the there's going to be a certain amount of time you'll have you can be on life support on an apple system for maybe maybe it'll be as much as five years but at some point they will no longer be offering support the the writing's been on the wall for a while because they have started hiding older versions of their operating system they there were workarounds and direct links to download older versions that have been blocked i don't believe it is possible unless you find it from a third party like somebody mirroring the download to even get Mojave anymore, if it no, detects no, you, that you you're on a system it. that support, if it detects you're on a system that supports Catalina, you cannot get Mojave. Go to the App Store right now and try to download it. I don't know. I've, I've used I usually use scripts Mojave. scripts to download it from from Apple. So and that, I've tried that common. as of May. That was broken. Oh, I, I haven't every tried every link that, that exists up until May is now gone. I tried to do this on a 2012 Mac Mini last week. There was no way I was going to put Catalina on that. You cannot download Mojave from Apple's store. I tried telling it I was in the UK. It said it wasn't in the UK store. Apple's own support page for computers that are capable of running Catalina, but for whatever reason you choose to run Mojave, they actually have a support page for this. That link takes you to, it's like an iTunes. It wants to open up the iTunes app. It doesn't even go to the App Store app, but regardless of which app you have that link, open it says this is not available in your country and none of the direct links i can find will download it my point is they have over the course of the last year or two made it harder and harder for casual users to do anything but update to the latest version they basically pulled a microsoft because there's a nag on your system if you don't run catalina there's a nag you actually have to execute terminal commands to make this go away You'll always have a little notification bubble telling you there's another update. In fact, if you're running Mojave, which is the second to latest version of the operating system, the last one to officially support 32-bit apps, if you're running that operating system, it will by default show you that your next available security update or any update is just to update your operating system. You have to go and show more to even see security updates for that version of the OS. So they, they are trying to push everybody along to run the same version of the operating system, just like Microsoft would have us do. But unlike Microsoft, they're not bringing legacy support along with them. I can run the latest build of Windows 10, and as long as it didn't break everything in my system, I can still run 
32-bit apps, 64-bit apps, unsigned apps. I can okay past a you know secure screen or whatever it's called, smart filter, and install anything I want. But that is not the case if you're running Apple's latest operating system. So if, if they successfully get 80% of their user base on Catalina, and they already have a version of Catalina running on ARM architecture, this transition will be easy because the pressure's on for developers now to create versions that will run on the new machines. And let's face it, moving to a highly integrated, ultra-optimized Apple Silicon-based laptop is probably going to give you better performance than an underclocked 10 nanometer Intel part, which is what they're saddled with right now. So, well, I, it, you know that the that the ARM-based CPUs seem to have a slight performance advantage over the uh, Intel Silicon. Anyway, I just opened up my um, my store, and I can what? actually still download uh, OS X Lion and uh, well, the, like the fastest supercomputer is now ARM-based. Uh, OS X Mavericks and Lion and Mountain Lion and, and things like that. Are you so, running a Hackintosh or are you using a legitimate bona fide Mac? Uh, I could go to my legitimate bona fide Mac. No, see, you're not. I am if you, I am on if a you run a legit Mac, I've tried it to say well, I, I, I think we're, we're getting off track here. Let's, no, let's hear are, from Josh. There's, I know Josh, yeah. from an architect's point of view, I'm sure he has a lot to say too. You know, there is no arguing that ARM... Uh, as an ISA, is in many ways superior to x86. Saying that, the amount of development that AMD and Intel have put into their processors, I mean, it, it outweighs everything that in, ARM has done in the past 10 years. I mean, seriously, in the last two years, those two companies have done more than what ARM has done development-wise. This is not to take anything away from ARM. ARM has a really great architecture. And they have made leaps and bounds in terms of performance and power efficiency. And their power efficiency really is second to numb. None. It's 8 o'clock on a Friday, my time. <laughs> We've had some scotches. So anyway, um, power efficiency, second to none. Uh, their IPC, they're getting up there. But when you look at overall system performance... AMD and Intel still have, I mean, just a lot of muscle behind them. And so when you said, well, before ARM performs better in Intel, blah, blah, blah. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, up to a certain level. Up to a certain, to a certain level. level. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yes. if you're looking at a certain <laughs> level, that if you're but, looking but, but, at but the high end, watts, no, it's they, they if still you're looking at two watts TDP, ARM has got great technology, but laptops are 15 watts to 35 watts. And Intel still has really good stuff. AMD now with the 4000 series has really, really good stuff. And uh, I mean, they're, I'm, I'm being really agnostic here in terms of technology. I like them all. I think they all bring a lot of really good stuff to the table. ARM technology is not at the same point in general overall performance across many things when you get up into the 15 to 35 watt range that Intel and AMD are able to provide. But Apple is taking a very market approach and aggressive approach, and they've done this with their previous silicon, with their A10, 12, whatever series. They're really good SOCs, and they have left no stone unturned in terms of optimizing performance 
and getting the most out of that silicon. Now, these are huge pieces of silicon for an SOC. I mean, uh, what what was an A14 or I can't remember what one of the A12. I mean, it was it was like 200 millimeters square. I mean, it was it was a significant chunk of die, but they are able to do the design so that they're not pulling a whole lot of power. They're not producing a lot of heat, but they still have a lot of transistors in there and a lot of a lot of surface area to do a lot of interesting things. And yeah, they're not small chips, but they have really good control over what they're doing. And they've hired on a lot of really good people to do stuff. So when you look at the future of x86-64 versus ARM, I think ARM has a little bit cleaner implementation. And so in theory, if you poured all those billions of dollars in, in development and hiring more engineers and doing more and more interesting things and getting top tier talent in, which is interesting because Intel is losing a lot of top tier talent. Not always sure where they're going to, but Apple seems like a pretty good place if you wanted to design a CPU. Uh, eventually, they it's going to get to a point where, I mean, there really is parity there in terms of performance, but you've got to spend a lot of money to get there. Because let me tell you, AMD and Intel have been at this game for a very, very long time. They've extracted every damn bit of performance out of the ISA. And I mean, and they've they've extended the ISA. I mean, AMD 64 is a really good extension. It, it solved a lot of problems with the x86 32-bit ISA that we've been kind of struggling with for a long time. And, uh, you know, we've got things like AVX2, AVX512, stuff that has real-world implications in terms of performance and efficiency that they've invested in uh, pretty dramatically, and especially Intel. And, I mean, they're getting people to develop uh, stuff. And, I mean, if you look at your regular desktop and the stuff that you do, I mean, it's starting to really leverage a lot of this floating point potential that uh, and, and this SM, SIMD, SIMD, AVX stuff in uh, things you do, video encoding and, and uh, video editing. And I mean, all the stuff that, that it will leverage this technology. And these guys are working hard on it. That ARM is working hard too, but I mean, they don't have as many, re- they have a lot more resources now that SoftBank got a hold of them and uh, shoveled a lot of money into them. But they're still playing catch up. And as much as I like ARM technology, I mean, it's, they do tremendous things at, at low TDPs. I mean, just, you got a cell phone that runs at 2.4 to 3 gigahertz, all under a watt. It's, it's impressive. And they can do a lot of work. But yeah, it's just a, a lot of these corner cases, a lot of these uh, applications that that people use, a lot of these servers and stuff like that. I mean, as Brett said, the the now top supercomputer is, is ARM-based. And if you look at how many CPUs they have running in that thing as compared to, you know, kind of the next one down, which I believe runs on x86, uh, it's a significant boost in, in how many cores they are addressing. And I mean... Again, I, I, I like ARM stuff. It's good. But AMD and Intel are not lying down. They're not playing dead. They are both being aggressive, AMD especially, so right now. And uh, Intel, they will get back on track. So, yeah, I think in many ways, ARM is more forward-looking in terms of an ISA, especially ARM V8. And uh, Apple is kind of taking their own destiny in their in their own hands 
because Intel for the past decade has not done nearly enough to be cutting edge. They've just kind of stayed a couple of steps ahead of AMD when they could have really, in fact, gone a lot farther. And, you know, maybe if they get their 10 nanometer stuff worked out, maybe if they get some of this management stuff worked out as well, that uh, some of these things that they've been developing in the background will come to fruition and we'll see another really, really strong Intel part come out. But that's not at this moment. And it's not going to be within the next year. So, yeah, no, it's it's a really interesting move Hey, that Apple did at this time. And it's something that we've kind of talked about before. Because back in 2010, I thought that uh, consoles were all going to go to ARM. Because ARM had all this interesting technology that, you know, you could have go from handhelds to consoles. And you'd have one development environment and be able to do stuff for both. But that didn't ever come a handheld died because of cell phones that had really good graphics capabilities and CPUs. And, uh, AMD had a killer product with their, uh, semi custom that really fit well into console development. Sony and Microsoft didn't have to invest all of this money when they could go and get kind of a turnkey solution from AMD that worked really, really well. And this next generation looks like it's going to look, Really, really well. So, yeah, now I'm done with my rant. Uh, one thing to... Did I take a breath during that? No. One thing to note is Apple is is not ARM. They're a licensor of the of ARM's uh, instruction set. ISA. Hey, yeah. yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, Jim, they if do, you have that I mean, graphic... They can develop their own. They develop their own stuff from scratch. Yeah. They don't use, like, a Cortex. This is all Apple technology, and it's impressive. I got right. it's and it's impressive. Th- this graphic from their presentation shows some of the things that they have added to the silicon in their SOC, such as their neural engine, audio processing, video playback, uh, their security, high security enclave, camera processors. This is the equivalent of hey, Intel ships a CPU with a GPU on it. So this is Apple's equivalent of oh yeah, our CPU runs ARM. ISA, but also has in silicon many of these attributes, such as their own GPU. I don't know what to call that, you know, Apple's GPU, uh, their disk drive controller, their audio processor, their cryptography, uh, their secure, which is going to make Hackintoshing more difficult. We can talk about that too. Memory, ba- uh, obviously, memory uh, access. Um, Power management, which is interesting, you know, because they've had to have that due to their mobile, uh, this lineage uh, from mobile processing. So this is some of the things that they include in their silicon, which is, again, just to, to note this, Apple is not ARM. Apple is their own silicon. It's ARM based from an ISA perspective, but it is not ARM. This is true, but let me add on to that. The Apple guys... Who came in were from oh what was the name Free PA Semi, PA Semi, and they all worked on previous ARM FreeScale built by and FreeScale, mm-hmm. yeah architectures, yeah. and so yep. the basis is there. I mean, they're not they're adding to it. They're they're enhancing oh, yeah. it. They're doing it, but, yeah, but they're still they're still you know the the where they were at the point in in yeah, what two thousand ten two thousand eight no two thousand. Mm-hmm. 10, 11, I think, is when yeah. P. 
PA yeah. Semi went uh, into Apple. I mean, it, it's there's a lot of development they have to do to kind of catch up to where like AMD is with 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 their latest Zen two products, and um, you know, next generation Intel stuff that was originally designed for ten nanometer, but they couldn't really implement because ten nanometer sucks. There are apparently <laughs> some really really interesting things, uh, architecturally speaking, uh, that they've integrated into those that you know, in theory, should perform much better than what Skylake does. And so, yeah, Apple is not using ARM Cortex stuff. They're designing their own, but a lot of that is based on stuff from 2008, 2009, 2010, the very dawn of of the Cortex-type design and how they set things up. And so they've still got a ways to go. I mean, Jet's just... That's just developing IP. That's that's developing the technology. That's that's getting these structures in place and working as they're supposed to to give you the results in terms of overall performance. And that's um, that's that's a tough challenge. It's, it's that's a reason why Apple with a hundred billion dollars can do this because really nobody else can. It's right getting in there right away. I mean Huawei, sure, because who do they have backing them in terms of money? China. I mean, they're making good, yeah, they're making good stuff with Kieran, but that's a lot of money. That's paying a hey, lot of people. I think, a lot of I think we all know that their entry is going to be a little bit low end when they come out with this stuff and that Intel is still going to own the high end. I would have liked them to go all AMD. I think that would have been great because I think they've, they've really got it going on. If, you know, someone, nobody asked me, of course. But if, yeah, if they but that involves, you know, new contracts and new long term yeah, yeah. agreements and, and they're just they're, I mean, this has been you know, I, I we've heard rumors of this for a couple of years. Sure. That they would be yeah. vertically integrating and be able to control their destiny, which I think in the end is a little short sighted because design teams sometimes just fall off a cliff that they don't get enough new blooded. They don't get enough new ideas. They recycle some things and they, they don't innovate. And that could be a pitfall that Apple, you know, is going to encounter in, you know, five years, six years from now when Intel and AMD are doing some really interesting things and they're, you know, they're stuck 30% behind what a regular PC can do, even with their own massive piece of, of in-house silicon. But oh, what happened before with power PC. Yeah, I mean that's just off the curve. Yeah, yeah, and and that's it's a danger of going vertical. I mean, look at 3D effects. They thought that going three, uh, the going vertical, they would be able to control their own destiny. But then it came out that it was better to sell chips to people who were working with memory, which suddenly increased in price 120 percent. And they couldn't match what these other partners could do. And I mean, that was the one of the things that really killed them off is that this sudden increase in, in memory prices that they just were not equipped to handle because they were a vertically integrated thing. And and they thought that, and I mean, it was a series of disasters, but yeah, it, it's unless you have all your ducks in a row, your shit in a pile, vertically integrated has so many areas where the chain can break and you have no other options. And and don't mistake me going over this as as a as a sunshine and roses. You know, it's not likely to be all upside. It isn't. You know, there's going to be issues. 
uh, it was just more of a dissertation on what it is that they said that was going to happen. And um, I don't think it's going to suck. I think it's going to be eventually it's going to be okay. Um, even from a uh, even from a Hackintosh community perspective, they've already hacked uh, Big Sur, for instance. You know, they, them, they're already running it on Intel. So, well, because it it runns on Intel, Big Sur is still x86 does. native. Right. Do you remember Pair PC? Do you remember the I, running PowerPC on a PC emulation crap? So uh, well, it's wasn't Pair be a PC lot... a fake thing that they used to put on all the shows when they wanted to pretend they were using Apple's? Probably. I don't remember who the actual uh, underlying code base was really. I thought, I I thought it, it was Pair PC, wasn't it? I, that was the brand. I don't know if that was a real okay. thing. I I ran Panther inside of Pair PC on a Windows XP machine just to try it out mm. once, but uh, it was a pain. And application support, I mean, translation layers, trying to run, remember, like, running virtual PC on a PowerPC Mac, even if you had oh, a PowerPC G5, was painfully I, I had slow. It. Yeah, it was very bad. Yep. So this is, there was a, I don't know how many Mac users are just 100% Mac OS only. Like, the apps that are available to me are just fine. I don't need any Windows-based apps. I don't ever, I don't even know what Wine is. I've never used any kind of emulation, parallels, uh, VMware Fusion. For those people who just accept whatever they can get from the app store, this is not going to affect them at all. It's going to give them longer battery life in a laptop because they're probably not desktop users anyway. So for those people, the stuff that I think Anand talked about the last time he spoke publicly about what they were working on inside of Apple was at the launch of, I think it was maybe the the second to last SOC or maybe the, the current one, but it was about the performance per watt, how they've, they think they've reached a certain level as far as performance goes. So they don't really have to get more performant with those cores. They need to work on being more efficient with the lower power cores and kind of offloading work onto the lower power cores. Or, you know, they have, they have enough dedicated hardware built into the SOC that it's not like the CPU is taxed all that far. And there is a lot of headroom and they're, they're thermally constrained inside of phones and tablets that are so impossibly thin. And obviously it's Apple. The the form factor they will adopt for an ARM-based MacBook is going to make a MacBook Air look like a giant old machine. But there will still probably be a better thermal footprint too. And they'll that will allow them to boost to higher clocks and the performance cores, and it'll be outstanding. I it's going to be a lot harder to judge performance because it's going to be a closed ecosystem again, just like when it was on PowerPC. So you can't just run Windows through boot camp and, you know, compare benchmarks back and forth because right. they're just, right. we're going to start pointing to cross-platform benchmarks. I'm sorry, but Geekbench, it's not a fair test to go from Apple to anything, whether you're talking smartphones or computers, because Apple's operating system and hardware are so tightly integrated that it is a huge advantage for them. And you can say that's all, that's part of it. Well, sure, it is part of it. And but just to say that the SOC itself is more powerful than whatever Intel has on offer is misleading if that product is not as well integrated, optimized is the word I'm trying to think of, on Apple hardware as it would, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's there's going to, maybe there'll be a way to hack another operating system onto a Mac. I'm sure you'll be able to run Linux on a Mac. But it won't be anywhere near the experience uh, that it would be running Mac OS. You're going to be able to run Android on Mac. Yeah. <laughs> badly. <laughs> You'll be able to run it badly with yeah, you know, no, broken uh, drivers yeah, and no batteries. Battery batteries are still going to be 
a limitation in terms of how thin you're going to get something. I mean, it's going to get skinny. True. Yeah. But uh, batteries, I mean, especially for a laptop, they're still going to take up a serious amount of, of space. I don't know another way to measure this. I mean, Geekbench was kind of like an off the cuff, sort of like, I know that's available on pretty much anything. And the numbers are roughly comparable, I guess, depends on how much you 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 put stock into how careful they pay attention to that sort of thing and trying to equalize things. I, I, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe Hackintoshing an Intel box and saying, okay, hey, yeah, this is a Mac running on Intel. It's not optimized. I know you're right. Um, would be a, a, the closest comparison that you're going to be able to make. So, you know, I don't know. Overall, though, I think kind of touching on what Josh was talking about earlier about the, all the work that Intel and AMD and the x86 architecture has done over these years, uh, where, where ARM has to catch up. It's important, I think, to not uh, conflate or, or mistake Apple's choices for the industry. They are a marquee uh, uh, manufacturer. You know, they, they have these high-end systems, prestigious systems. All the journalists use them. Uh, but Apple was going to go this way anyway, eventually, because they want control. And I don't think, like, I was listening to Windows Weekly from a couple of days ago, and Leo, uh, every three months, if you listen to that show, you know, Leo goes on some rant, and he was saying, this is it, it's all over. Everyone's going to just buy MacBooks because they're going to be the best performance, and then you'll run thin client, you know, usage scenarios, and that's not what's going to happen. I mean, this is what I've Apple... I've said that before. <laughs> yeah, this is what Apple's doing. Uh, we've, we've seen it for years. I think Charlie over at Semi-Accurate talked about this in 2012, 2011. I mean, it's it's been in the works for a decade, uh, and it's what they're going to do. And on one hand, they don't care about performance because we've seen that. They shove hot processors into tiny, uh, unsuitable chassis. Uh, they They pack overpriced desktop workstations with not the best hardware choices. They care about they care about their class of users and what's going to be optimized for their workloads. And what we're seeing this time around, unlike the PowerPC transition, is out of the gate, at least according to them, Office is running native, Photoshop is running native. It's not finished yet, but they've got it going. Whereas they didn't even hadn't even started the last time around. Uh, Rosetta two, which is the emulation or translation layer, is is going to be up and running. It's not going to help you with the thirty two bit stuff that's already been killed, but it'll get your x eighty six stuff running. To some degree, we don't know. We don't know how bad it's going to be. Uh, but this is what they're doing. The, uh, the rest of the industry is going to continue on. Apple won't ever, I think if, if AMD or Intel comes out next year with a killer new architecture, like something miraculous happens and they're able to exceed all expectations, I don't think Intel would even switch back and that ever switch back in that situation. But this is what Apple. You mean, Apple. What did Apple. I say? Apple. Intel. 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 Oh, sorry, Apple. Uh, you meant Apple. Intel's never yeah. going to switch back. You're right. <laughs> They'll never switch back. But this is yeah. what nope. uh, this is what Apple does, and this is what they we've known they're going to do for a long time. And and hey, hey, they you know take what? it or leave it. Has Dell ever ever offered that quality of wheels before at that price point? <laughs> Not at that quality. Uh, and I, and with no break. Yeah. That's, There's that's, no break uh, on the Apple wheels. No, just keep rolling. Smooth rolling, baby. Smooth rolling. Are there special chalks for the Apple wheels? Well, you know, they're specifically designed maybe, for maybe very, very those. plush. What's a market opening market. for you? Am I muted? No. We're no, just we're talking just over <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I was just saying those, those wheels are designed for very, very plush, white, thick 
white carpet to put your it doesn't roll, apple in it doesn't roll on my shag man and then you and roll, then you pet the cat tiger in the room yeah yeah but you pet oh. your cat on your lap in your gray suit but i mean oh, it, we've yeah. seen and, and as to brett's point and sebastian's point both but brett and brett was talking about um how the uh, apple socs are very performant exceeding x86 options in some cases and apple and sebastian was talking about the apple ecosystem and kind of locking you in and we've already kind of seen that a couple months ago or maybe it was a year ago now there were those videos about how uh how can a uh, a macbook air with an integrated quick sync chipset edit 4k video but my dell xps 15 with a geforce you know 1660 ti this is before adobe introduced uh, nvidia gpu acceleration can't handle it uh, you know, it's a 45 watt versus a seven watt uh, TDP on those processors. And that's because they're all optimized and that's what Apple's going for. And final cut will be very, very optimized limiting. You won't have just like on iOS, you're not going to have all the plugins and add-ons and templates that are going to be available. The people will have to create a whole new ecosystem for that. I don't even know if Apple would allow that, but it's, it's going to be a very highly optimized yet limited experience. And if that works for you, that's great. I just don't, I don't know how many people that's going to work for, uh, as the rest of the industry moves on and as we all continue to use high performance x86 based systems. Apple was already on the fringe of relevance for people like us to talk about anyway, when they were on x86 across the board. And this is just going to, it's going to drive that division again, where it doesn't matter what Apple users say about how the performance on their system is so great. Right. If you want to be locked into Apple's ecosystem, I'd rather have, you know, control over what I do. And there's still going to be people who will run an alternate operating system or run Windows on their own hardware because they would rather have that sort of freedom. That's probably going to be fewer and fewer, fewer people as time goes on. Obviously, there are going to be people overreacting about this within the media, like Intel's done, AMD's done because Apple. Okay, because less than 10% of the world is eventually going to be pushed to Apple Silicon. No, it's the majority of the world is still going to run on Intel and AMD processors. and Yes, I think the most compelling argument about this for Apple users to compare against Windows laptops in the next year or two is just going to be battery life if they, in fact, do have some kind of incredibly well-optimized system that can offload work to these ultra-low-power cores where your laptop could could basically be an iPad uh, in its downtime and then spring back to life when you actually need it to. That is incredible to think about that there might be a form factor with enough batteries in it that could give you 24 hours of battery life with constant use that's going to be the killer thing but this was like jim was saying this was this was always going to be this was probably planned when they bought pi pa semi it that they, they waited to do things because they didn't have what they needed they had to wait to do the retina macbook pro Not, it wasn't until i think 2013 that they finally had an intel chip with powerful enough graphics that by incorporating their own custom display controller, they could make it work, even though it was not universally smooth. You could get jerky performance out of those because it was just too many pixels to drive with integrated graphics at the time. And as Intel's graphics improved a little bit, then the next generation, like by 2014, 2015, the Retina MacBook Pro was fine. Even the 13-inch with just integrated Intel graphics, it was okay. It wasn't great but at least it was a smooth operating system experience. Although I think they may have been implementing some sort of variable refresh to make it appear smoother than it was, but now they have total control. They can make these decisions for themselves. They can decide exactly how much GPU 
horsepower is going to be incorporated into the next SOC. And they seem to have had an amazing run with design wins. So there's no, the only fall fallout there has been in recent times about their hardware has just been the baseband stuff with 5G and Intel and going back to Qualcomm. So it's, it's, it's an interesting is the transition. Horse, it's, is the horse but, beaten? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think so. After ah, 40 okay. minutes. So we'll just we'll wrap by saying uh, if you ha- if you hadn't been following along the the way this is going to go is they're going to have they said they'll have their first systems with ARM Apple Silicon in the market by the end of the year uh, early next year maybe uh, and then they'll transition over two years to everything else being ARM developers though if you want you can get Apple the Apple Dev Kit right now which is a, a custom Mac Mini running the A12Z which is the um, current iPad Pro SoC. And uh, but with other de- like desktop class specs, like I think 16 gigs of RAM, 500 gig SSD, uh, but no Thunderbolt 3. That's the other part of all this. It looks like new Macs won't have Thunderbolt 3. That's going to USB C. But if we get to USB 4, then maybe that's not as big of a deal. So, uh, mm-hmm. but that that dev kit is $500, and that Mac is a loner. You got to send that back when you're done. Um, so, so we, one, one last thought. This at least is going to be interesting for internet. CPU journalism, because this is the first major departure of this type since they went from powers PC to x86. And even then it was, it was, it was kind of like, meh, it's not a big deal. This is, this really is forging into new territory for Apple. And so it's going to be interesting. And there's going to be a lot of commentary about it when the first products are delivered. Uh, And there's going to be so much experiential, uh, benchmarking if that's even the thing i mean intel says that it is right it's the experience yeah yeah that uh it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see and so this is gonna be fascinating for guys like us because we're gonna have to figure out how to get this to work so we can give readers and watchers some really good information and not just like apple does great form factor but the number anyway of things that to talk about is just going to be very interesting from this point forward <laughs> it will it, it will it will but yeah, yeah go go look up um uh if you're interested in this stuff go on youtube look up apple's old keynotes MacWorlds, and wwdc's from the end of the power pc era and watch how they like phil phil uh, schiller and steve jobs would would try to compare Apple versus Intel, you know, because there was the gigahertz war, which really you know, didn't, wasn't comparable. And, and so that's what we're going to be looking at is, you know, ways to find valid comparisons for, for folks uh, to, to decide on a platform. And uh, of course, I uh, just want to take a quick mention. Uh, thanks Soren for the latest Photoshop masterpiece. So that's great. Thank you. You, you probably got 10 years of that. You can probably still, Pack your way through for ten years from now. Uh, well, I don't know if it'll be ten years. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be five ish years from the last T two. Okay, all right. Well, let's let's move on. Let's get off of Apple, the Apple Perspective Weekly Podcast here, and uh, let's really quickly mention uh, in the news this past week uh, there was another entrant into the microphone streamer microphone uh, community. As you'll see here, we've got uh, Sebastian and Brett using the. A HyperX Quadcast microphone, which is you know something that came out a year or so ago. We really like those. And now Elgato, uh, Corsair-owned Elgato is in the game. They've come out with the Wave 3. It's $160 list price, I think. 
And it's a uh, it's the interesting thing here is as uh, as we have a link to the Google 3D review. It's not only a nice, just quality microphone, but looking into that streamer aspect of things, it's got software-based mixing. Uh, so if I can pull up the website here, you can see it's going to, it's just a single digital USB-C connection to your PC, but then it installs, uh, presumably through some Elgato software, a virtual audio capture so that you can mix and 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 mute and, and control the software applications on your computer. So your browser audio, your music from Spotify, and then mix it in with your voice so it's basically a digital convenient mixer built right into your mic. So for streamers, uh, that might be something to to look forward to. A lot, you know, we use a lot of Elgato stuff and Corsair stuff. It's pretty good. Um, and so we'll we'll see. Sebastian, did they send us one of those? No, I have to. I'm going to ask for one. Okay. It, well, I'm curious about the sound quality. It, it could be a good solution. That the mixing aspect is nice because mm-hmm. i i mean i've I've done the separate usb mixer mic preamp mic thing and it's a big pain and it's not always compatible with everything like i had to stop using it because it didn't work with vmix yeah. so if this is an all-in-one solution that works and you can mix in other sources and i don't know if that's all virtual or if there's like inputs and outputs on this thing or not i, I, I didn't see any I don't, I don't believe there's any yeah. other physical inputs that you can use but we'll see there okay uh next up we'll continue on here we've got another update on the western digital SMR controversy. So as we talked about a few weeks ago, Western Digital, uh, towards the end of last year, I think is when it all started, they started to quietly sneak in shingled magnetic recording SMR-based drives into their RED series, which is a big no-no because that technology, it's great for keeping price down for uh, lots of sequential writes, but you don't want to use it in a in a RAID or you know, any type of array where you're going to be moving data back and forth and keeping things in sync. And and uh, it would cause performance degradation and, and more likely to cause failures. So they got called on it. They initi- they issued a basically on a, a per user basis. You can request if you've bought an an SMR drive uh, and didn't know you can have it replaced. But instead of just fixing it, they've come out with their so called solution, which is uh, the introduction of a new category. Basically, uh, there used to be the Western Digital Red and the Western Digital Red Pro, and we thought those were all CMR drives. Uh, and then we learned that a number of the Red the standard reds were SMR. So instead of fixing that, they're just going to introduce this new plus category, Western Digital Red Plus, and then those will be guaranteed to have the CMR recording technology in them, uh, putting the onus on shoppers and retailers to figure this out and make sure people know what they're buying. Uh, I, I'm not, I don't think this is, the, <laughs> this is a good solution, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Hey, when you label red as suitable for, you know, network, raid style performance uh, suitability for use they've just diluted that that brand horribly uh, i don't think people are going to understand what it is that they're buying and did they actually did they say that their their plus brand would have no smr ever i, I didn't read that that part yet i believe that was the the, the point of it all was that the pluses okay. would be cmr but the standard reds and, and i don't know yeah. if maybe that's just to keep they're going to just do that temporarily to get the channel inventory out or if that's the long-term strategy, but either way, it's that, good. that would make sense. Yeah. They, they should have just discontinued, uh, you know, non SMR reds, you know, it just is pointless. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with SMR, but you use it in like your archive drives, like the purple series, if that's still a thing, I can't remember how they differentiate their branding, but like they're like surveillance and long-term archiving, like sequential, archiving but not your nas brand not your your right. 
performance uh, network network storage. Just just to be clear, what, the problem actually occurred during raid rebuilds is that mm-hmm. it would actually l- legitimately fail. It wouldn't work with uh, with the SMR drives when people would put together their re or try and reassemble their NASAs with a, a failed red drive that was SMR. They would you know substitute it with the same capacity drive that was SMR. It wouldn't rebuild. So this is a total fail. In, in, in the, for, for the brand. All right. Our next story uh, is on NVIDIA's latest driver. Uh, Sebastian wrote this up for us. Why don't you tell us what uh, NVIDIA has introduced in their latest driver update? Uh, normally, it's support for some new games. Uh, and as usual, they've added some monitors to the list of the Chief Sync compatible program, that sort of thing. But the big deal here is that this is the first publicly available driver that supports all of the features of new DirectX 12 Ultimate. And that had previously been available as a preview driver, you had to sign up for a developer account, which I think is free, to check that out. But now it's just publicly available. It's version 451.48. There's a Wickle driver available for download directly from NVIDIA. And what's interesting to me about this is that they are going all the way back to the GTX or the G-Force. So GTX and GT. 600 series cards, Kepler. So uh, I'm not sure what, (laughs) obviously not all of these architectures are going to support all of the DirectX 12 features, but it is interesting to see that certain things are going all the way back to Kepler. So what was tied in with this was, um, and I know there's been some chatter about this. I have not had a chance to test this yet. Build 2004 of Windows 10 brought in the ability for what is it? The, the direct access to VRAM by the GPU. Where it's How do you look that up? Because I just, I just installed that. Oh, really? It is okay. the hardware accelerator GPU scheduling. It only works with uh, Windows 10 2004. Before that, it is not enabled. So if you want that hardware accelerated GPU scheduling, which... If you've got a high-end machine, you're going to have very, very limited improvements. But if you've got a low-end machine, you could see some some pretty good pretty good improvements. What's a low-end machine? And, and by your estimation, that would be like a two-core, four-thread machine oh, running at really low, three point five to four gigahertz nowadays. Okay, yeah, yeah. but uh, you know, scheduling can be, can take up a core or two. Um, so if you've got like a Ryzen thirty-six hundred X. You're going to have minimal improvements, but uh, if you've got a lower-end machine than that, it's going to get better the lower you get. As Josh said, that's, that's only, you have to be running the Windows 10 2004 or 20H1 update, which, a lot, as we talked about, a lot of us aren't yet because they've, after initially opening up the floodgates, they cut it off and are limiting rollout due to some issues. But if you do have that update and then you go get these drivers... You go into your uh, Windows 10 system, go to settings, system, display, graphic settings, and that's where the uh, on and off switch will be to turn on this new hardware accelerated GPU scheduling feature. Uh, so again, the settings, system, display, graphic settings to get to that. You have to have all those prerequisites or else you won't see that there. Your your Windows settings will look different if you're not running those drivers or Windows uh, 10 2004 or 2004. And what's, what's nice is uh, aside from that, just back to the drivers for a moment. They're simultaneously releasing their studio driver with this, which is, it's not the same thing, but if you're familiar with the studio driver, it's, it's optimized performance for applications. So GPU accelerated uh, applications such as Adobe Premiere, they list here, uh, Blender, K2, 
Chaos V-Ray 5, Rattledesk 3DS Max, Corel Painter 2021. So improved performance in those applications specifically. And if you're running a machine just for production use, uh, that sort of thing, these can benefit you. It's not a huge boost, but if you don't need gaming optimization, Studio Driver is the way to go. I run that on the streaming rig that I'm using right now, actually. So that's all out there. It's all free to download. I mentioned that they have some new G-Sync compatible displays. We don't need to get into that nine more so now the list is up to 98 monitors from various manufacturers including those new odyssey samsung 2020 odyssey monitors that are Mm. uh, i think just starting to hit the market or maybe will be shortly also vulcan 1.2 oh yes yeah not that that appeals to a lot of people so far hey for the vulcan apps especially on amd hardware the performance is noticeably better in games that are optimized for it. That's the problem. It's not quite the the mantle issue, but I mean, obviously that's where Vulcan came from. But Okay, and our final news story this week, uh, Microsoft uh, took a couple things in their, uh, in, in their uh, uh, company and took them out back and shot them in the head. Uh, the first is uh, the Microsoft stores, the retail stores. They announced uh, their closing. And not for COVID, you know, not temporary, like Apple's closing some of its stores. They're just getting out of the retail game. They've been in there since, I think, 2008 or 2009. A very, um, they, they were mocked at points for trying to copy Apple. They're, uh, a common uh, complaint or a common observation has been that you go to an Apple store and it's just absolutely packed. And you go to a Microsoft store and there's just like three employees and then a, a kid playing Xbox in the corner. So they're, they're getting out of retail. They're going to close the stores. They're going to continue to maintain a couple uh, I, can't, I believe they call them like customer experience locations. Like there, there's going to be a couple uh high profile physical spots around the country in big cities where they have some sort of presence, but it won't be like the, the same old retail stores we've had. And that's, I, I find that sad because I worked at, I was an Apple customer and I worked at Apple before they went crazy, like pre iPhone. And the Apple store was a nice place. Like the, the, the employees took their time with you. You didn't feel rushed. It was, they had all kinds of interesting stuff to look at. It wasn't just this like mass of humanity. And now it's an Apple store. I've had to take my MacBook in three times for logic board replacement. It's a piece of garbage. But uh, every time I go in there, I'm, I'm bumping, you know, shoulder to shoulder with people. The the genius, he's got three seconds for me. You know, I'm trying to explain to him, you know, this has been replaced three times. Maybe it's not this logic board. Maybe there's a power issue or something. No, 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 that's fine. And so it's just this, it's just an awful experience. Uh, whereas I've had to go to the Microsoft store a couple of times. And even though it was, it was empty, I can understand why they're closing them. The experience was like, I remember with Apple, like the employees were knowledgeable. They took their time. Uh, it wasn't this rushed experience. I felt like I would, they were, they were understanding my technical concern and they, they went out of their way to like replace a notebook that was like three months out of warranty. Whereas Apple made me pay $750 for a logic board replacement. That was like 20 days out of warranty. So unfortunate there, uh, but I can understand why. And then they also, they killed Mixer, their streaming gaming thing that they've that been hilarious. How much money did they pay Ninja and whoever else? 20 million. Switch? Wow. And now it's just million dollars. They but now they're lost. selling it off to uh, Facebook. So, oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah, they're, uh, <clears throat> I don't think they're losing really much. It's, I mean, compared to other little, Microsoft obviously. failures, it's it's a, a drop in the bucket. I mean, this isn't, uh, you know, like a Nokia thing again. But this is this what, yeah, Windows exactly. This is, this reminds me of Windows Phone. It's like, yeah. 
how do we get into the game? We pay off a bunch of people. Like they paid lump sums to bigger companies like Instagram and eBay to, to create apps for the Windows phone platform. And once those contracts had been satisfied, and I was a Windows phone user, I never saw updates. It's like, oh, we made one. There's version one. There it is. Here's, we'll take our check now. And they never revisited it. They did not ever support that platform. There were entire categories of things that never even showed up there. So it's, it's just funny to me to see they did the same thing with Mixer. It's like, let's just throw a whole bunch of money at the problem. It reminds me of Epic. And as long as this doesn't blow up in Epic's face, because Epic has built up a software empire to compete with Steam directly, something that seemed almost impossible just a couple of years ago, pretty much just on the basis of the success of one game. And... They have a high enough profile where they just kind of pulled out all the stops and just made it happen. And they threw a whole bunch of money at developers to get exclusives to make this platform a lot of free games away. And some really good ones. Yeah. And they still do. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're building brand loyalty with people by giving stuff away and they're getting developer timed exclusives by throwing a whole bunch of money at the developers. So as long as that money keeps flowing in from Fortnite, they'll be just fine, but we'll see. (laughs) It obviously didn't really work out for me. Fortnite millionaire. I'm jealous. He's the audio director. It's like, yeah, we're doing fine. We're doing fine. You know, we're doing great. (laughs) It went from fine to great, did it? It. Yes, it did. (laughs) It is. What a stunning turnaround. I mean, it's not like Epic was scraping by. I mean, they had a, you know, a tremendous platform. Um, I mean, not talk. I'm not talking about their 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 gaming service, but the Unreal Engine and their licensing and how many game units and, and the software behind that and development. They were doing okay. I mean, they weren't making huge amounts of money, but they were doing okay. And then Fortnite, and it was just what. And all they had to do was rip off another popular game and target it towards children. Yeah. And you, right. you have characters to dance. And you build things. And there you go. It, it was... Yeah, I was talking to my friend. He was like, you know, the, there are so many things that we kind of forget about. Is is just, the, you know, the dance emotion. I mean, kids like to dance. Who, who has seen all the different... And, you know, some 10 to 12-year-old kid doing the Fortnite dances. It's just, it's just, it's kids like to do that stuff. And they just, you know, we've kind of forgotten as a culture, kids like to do silly things and they hit on several of these at the right time. And it just blows up. It's, it's so weird. I mean, we, we're so used to sitting on our keyboards and mice in our chairs or in our console. We forget people like to move and, we have Fortnite wow. dances. We have the floss. We have the 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 one legged hop thing, and it's just it's bizarre. But it's it's such a basic part of human nature, and especially childhood. We we forget these things. Well, we are so old. We're so old. You know, <laughs> Josh, you sound okay. like a child psychologist, jo- behavioral fi- specialist, Josh Walrath. <laughs> <laughs> Children, they like to move. They just like to get up and just, you know, shake and shimmy. How old is your kid now? My kid is four. 
Does he like to get up and just shake for no does. particular reason? But I feel like it's yeah. prompted by the stuff that he watches. Which came first, the dancing or Fortnite? You know what? I think the, the impulse to dance is there. It just needs a release. It's true. It's true. Powerful words. We'll be right back. Or something to copy. Okay. <laughs> so if, you, if you're familiar with Xbox and Mixer, you know that Mixer is integrated into the Xbox uh, user interface and it's promoted and you can still stream to other platforms and everything, but they, they obviously pushed Mixer. Uh, Major Nelson came out after they announced that they were going to go to Facebook gaming and saying that I, from my understanding of what he said, that that's not going to be like, you're not going to have Facebook replace Mixer on your Xbox. Uh, it'll be an option but they're not going to push it, which is good for people who are currently not too thrilled with in being involved with Facebook. So uh, stay tuned for that. I believe it's uh, if you're a Mixer fan, you've got till July 22nd on that day, everything switches over to Facebook gaming. All right. Well, it's, we've got a couple reviews uh, here uh, uh, over the last week. We've got a, the first review is a uh, headphone review from uh, Chris Coke. I haven't heard one from him in a while, but he's got this great pair of headphones from drop and uh, Dan Clark audio uh, Sebastian, as the resident audiophile here on this panel, uh, tell us, how did Chris uh, feel about these headphones? Well, don't sell Josh short, first of all, but let me just draw anyone's attention. I'm sorry if you're listening to the audio version. And statistics don't lie. They say that most of you are listening and not watching. But just imagine yeah, yes, you. a high-end car ad, like looking down the side of some exotic sports car. That would be just the first photo from Chris here. He has outdone himself. With some innovative, I will, I will call them innovative, groundbreaking headphone review photography. Uh, you must experience it. Go to the website and look at the review. But these are not inexpensive. They're Drop, formerly known as Mass Drop, a combination with Dan Clark Audio, a brand I was not familiar with. I'm not. I didn't know who Dan Clark was. But uh, he takes us through something. These these are called the. Is, Aeon. is that is that, is that uh, associated with with. Dick Clark? I mean, I'm not talking like Dick Clark, the American bandstand, but the aviation headphone guys. I don't know. Maybe. Apparently he has a lot of experience in the industry, so that's possible. But uh, Chris apparently is a fan, and he's used previous iterations of the Aeon headphones before. This is the Open X, so they're open back. The the design of these reminds me of those uh, Odyssey. Sorry, it's Odyssey David. David Clark. Sign. I apologize. Is David it? Clark, right. not Dick. Yeah. Anyway. Uh. Anyway, the they're they're expensive. They're these are not inexpensive headphones. These are five hundred dollar headphones. So they're you get into that world like the Odyssey stuff, like the LCD X, the LCD threes. You can get really really expensive. Bear Dynamic has some very expensive headphones too. And there there's like the Aeon Flow headphones, which are their closed back ones that are I'm looking on Amazon right now. They're six hundred dollars. So. This is less expensive than than those, but it's still in another world. And he he goes into his listening impressions. That's obviously subjective. He said the quality of the build is extremely high. He was very happy with the sound, and he he showed some measurements that come from HeadFi reviews of these with some instrumentation, audio precision measurements of these. They're fairly flat, though it does look like they have a little bit of a treble boost. So they're. A lot of times somebody will talk about uh, audio equipment having a really detailed sound, like really crisp. Generally, that just means there's more trouble. And these don't have a, a big drop at around one kilohertz. So that, that means you're not going to lose a lot of the mid-range clarity. You're still going to have a lot of like sparkle at the top. Some people don't like that. They think that 
a, a exaggerated top end, like any any kind of boost at all. And this is these are very minor boosts. We're talking like one or two decibels here, looking at these charts. But that's just that kind of like sparkle. And I, I like Grado headphones. I know Josh is wearing a pair of them right now. And if you look at audio precision measurements of Grados, back when Tyle Hertzens was still doing headphone reviews, he couldn't stand Grados. He didn't like the fact that upper mid range had a hump. I personally love that sound i listen to a lot of music that's like piano drums bass and a horn like jazz quartet music and it just kind of enhanced the clarity of like say a trumpet those were the exact frequencies that i was getting boosted so it made it it made it sound better like for some reason so i don't know i always thought that greatest were were aimed around human voice yeah exactly right right in that mid-range so Things like a saxophone sound great because they emulate a human voice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he, I asked him what the rating was on these. He said editor's choice. And in, in spite of a couple of, of little issues he had, he said that, you know, the, he didn't think the impedance measurements are necessarily accurate. So you have to kind of watch that, check the community for what, uh, what a suitable driver of these is going to be. Cause these are analog headphones. You have to drive them with something. And something $500, you start to get into that question of, well, do I need a dedicated headphone amp? Is my motherboard output okay? And, of course, some motherboards... Yeah, yeah, claim- you, you need a dedicated headphone amp for $500. Yeah, yeah sorry, it just... It, it's it, just the way it works. And sorry. Yeah, exactly. An external DAC? Are you talking about it like an external DAC in this case? Well, I mean, what? obviously, if you're going to have the external headphone amp, you got to have the external DAC. Okay, then you got to sure. go you know, USB to the external DAC and then DAC right. to the headphone so okay, you have that little sure. stack on your desk, but it's it, it's not yeah. too much to ask for, right? Not if you're spending this much on headphones. You can easily spend two hundred dollars mm-hmm. on a little mini stack and have a great external sure. solution. But uh, I, you read the review if you want to read his his actual listening impressions. I always, you know, kind of caution in my reviews that these are subjective. I'm not, and he actually was showing the audio precision measurements, so we have a little bit more of a reference here. But they just look like a, a very well engineered pair of headphones that perhaps is a bit on the bright side. And Chris, I must and say he's a, a handsome man. Yeah. Chris is setting a new standard for the in review selfie, which is an underappreciated art. Ah. He he inserted himself into the review. He's and... he's got that kind of, you know, pseudo hipster millennial look that I don't know how pseudo it is. I'd say it's just full on hipster millennial. <laughs> Chris, if you're watching, I apologize. Uh, but, uh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. And are those gaming? Go get glasses your latte. Those regular yeah. glasses. I feel like he might be wearing gaming glasses. I'm I'm detecting a bit of an orange hue to the lens. No, no, those are not gaming glasses. This is this know. is not Ian. It's not. Look, it's not. Look at the tint. I'm saying that is not. There is no amber tint whatsoever. I it it might over. be a yellow amber tint there. I gotta. Go I don't know. Sebastian it, 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 I am also. I need to ask him. What are these bowls? Are these just candles? What What's he doing? Is with the exposure on this? I have so many questions, but they aren't, may not. Aren't those be uh, hue like hue lights? Philips hue? Are they? They They make those bowls. Uh, well, they make like a like a an accent light that's sort of like a a bowl thing. I thought. I don't. I can't tell, but they, they definitely make something like that that you're supposed to use as ambient accent lighting. <laughs> I see, but uh, yeah. So check out as Sebastian said. Check out the full review again. This the the drop Dan Clark Audio Aeon OpenX headphones. And again, because it's uh, it's drop formerly mass drop, you gotta have an account and you know get the get the order in for the the drop or however the terminology works there. 
$500, if you're into, into that price range. Final review uh, from Sebastian. <laughs> He's got a review for, for us of a uh, Z490. Yes, the Z, Z, Z400 uh, series are out. And here's it's a... Uh, hey, Jim, it's pronounced Z490. Z oh, sorry. Yes, to our, our uh, friends right. uh, north of the border and across the sea. Yeah, we're, we're a global operation here. Gotcha. So tell us about the ASRock Z490 Tai Chi motherboard. <laughs> hey, it's another ASRock product being reviewed here. They are not a sponsor, but they like to send review units to us, and we like to review them. Josh, it wasn't too long ago, he did the X570 Phantom Gaming X review. I uh, I did a Z390 Phantom Gaming X review. And those Phantom Gaming X boards, those are the high end. And right below that is Tai Chi. And I think Josh would agree with me. Tai Chi offers a heck of a lot for the money on both AMD and Intel platforms. They're very nice. Hey, hey Sebastian. Boards. Yes. Tai, tai Chi offers a very nice price performance range for motherboards above the high end. But they, they increase uh, the features uh, from the lower end in a very cost performative way. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's, Maybe Sebastian will remember that for the next time. Maybe. Well, the the thing about this time around, (laughs) Z490 is obviously Intel's new chipset for the 10th gen stuff, LGA 1200. This time, Tai Chi is the high end. The only thing above this in Ezrock's product stack is their Aqua, which is, I don't remember how much it costs, well over $1,000. So this is a $369. They only engrave that and... And send that to certain YouTubers so no one probably. can actually buy one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you probably wouldn't want to because why would you no. when you could buy this for 369 So this is... Much better deal. And and I remember talking about how the Z390 Phantom Gaming X was kind of like, you know, we use the term overbuilt probably too much, but it was over... It had a hugely overbuilt power delivery. That was its whole, its whole thing. So this takes that... To the next level. And obviously, 10th generation can be quite power hungry if you leave it running completely untamed. If you leave it running 100%, zero power limits. We'll talk about that in a moment. And it can draw a lot of power. It has very demanding uh, power needs. And this has 15 of these pretty high-end power ICs that I was looking at the product data sheet because that's exciting to do. And what it's what these are actually rated for, these are Vichet SIC 654 power ICs. Each can deliver in excess of 50 amps, continuous current, 70 amps peak, peak for 10 milliseconds, and 100 amps for 10 microseconds. Now, the, the Z390... I'm sorry, 100? 100? 100. 100 each. Just for, a, a, just for a microsecond. Just for 10 Could I jumpstart my car off of this? That's all I want to know. 12 volts, 100 amps. Arc welding. Arc welding needs to make a comeback. Yeah. I wonder if you could arc weld. Motherboard arc welding. It's it's a fascinating idea. Arc weld very, very, very short periods of time. But yes, you could be able to do it. (laughs) Uh, I like where this is going. My point was that their previously highest end power delivery were these... 634 power ICs, which is slightly lower end from the same company, which could do 50 amps continuous. Those are the same there, but the peak was only 55 amps for 10 milliseconds, not 70. And they didn't even offer that microsecond 100 amp. So this is 
these are significantly more powerful. They can deliver more power. And obviously, there's a reason for that, because you can feed 250 watts to one of these new Intel CPUs continuously, if you want to. And yeah, I, I linked back uh, to the news post I did on Intel's, Intel's power limits that were finally revealed. Computerbase did this story about it, and they got the official numbers finally. If you're not familiar, Intel processors all have power limits that are broken up into power limit one, power limit two, and then I believe it's pronounced tau. And that's the total amount that it can use these, like the second power limit, the, the really high short duration power limit. It'll fall back to power limit one once it's exceeded its time. And for the 10900K, the really high-end 10-core, 20-thread processor that we reviewed, PL1 is 125 watts, which is its TDP. And PL1 will always be the TDP. But the reason people like me review processors and say, this, this exceeds its TDP significantly. It's pulling 300 watts from the wall under load. Well, the reason for that is there's a second power limit. And in this case, it's 250 watts. Now, according to Intel's official specifications, it should only be able to use that 250 watts for 56 seconds. At that point, it falls back to 125 and runs at 125 indefinitely until it can opportunistically boost back up to 250 for up to 56 seconds again. And this is how Intel can get 4.9 gigahertz all cores on a 10-core processor. It's because it's only for about a minute at a time. So I ran Blender with this motherboard and that 10900K out of the box, like left everything at default settings, and it would run 250 watts forever. I ran a classroom render test, which is about seven minutes for a processor like this. A low-end processor can take a half an hour. But for this particular uh, test, the first one took six, six minutes and 40 seconds. So obviously longer than 58 seconds. And it never clocked down. It kept all 10 cores at 4.9 gigahertz the entire time until the job was done. And it was pulling about 220 watts or so. I need, I need to make a separate chart for the power draw, but it was, it was pulling close to its power limit the entire time. I went into the UAFI setup and manually configured the power limits. And I specifically put in, because if you, if you enable power limits, it doesn't do anything. It just sets everything to what's what's labeled as auto, and it doesn't do anything. The only board I've seen that actually enables power limits was the Asus ROG board, the Max, is it Maximus 12? It's something 12 extreme that we got from Hero, Intel. Was with, it not the Hero? Uh, it's, it's I, I, I can't remember if Maximus was the high-end desktop or if that's the, the regular desktop. I don't have the box in mm. front of me, but the, the Asus ROG... Z490 board, the high-end one, that's like $750. That's what we got from Intel with the processors to test them out. And when I tested those processors, the first thing I did was go into the setup and there's an option called enforce all limits. And with Asus ROG boards, if you enforce all limits, it really does. It actually sets these for you. With any other vendor that I've tried, it does not. It just leaves everything at auto and you have to manually type in a long and short duration power limit which for this motherboard was not exactly clearly labeled. It didn't say PL1, PL2. So you had to kind of know what you were doing or what you were looking for. And I put in 56 seconds as the long duration maintained period, the towel. Saved it, went back, reran the test. That's the other 
uh, result on that same frequency chart. And after just 28 seconds, it dropped all the cores to 4.2 gigahertz and maintained it. So it was hitting the the 125 watt TDP limit and, and honoring it, but it did it after 28 seconds, which it I verified this, ran it again, 28 seconds. I'm not sure what's going on. If I set it to 128, maybe it'll do 56. Maybe it just needs a BIOS update. I'll have to talk to ASRock about this. But what's kind of funny about this is the 28 second timeout for the, the 250 watt uh, power limit two is the non-K parts spec. I don't know if maybe this board was just mistaking my K-series part for a non-K-series part, but the K-series parts are supposed to be allowed to go up to 56 seconds. Or 50, yeah. Anyway, enough about power limits. I talked quite a bit about power limits. Performance with this processor was about the same as what I got from the ROG board. The, the level, like the difference between these tests was so minute, it was within a rounding error. So I was just like, enough. I'm not retesting the 10900K, it is what it is. The performance with this board is going to significantly exceed what I showed in the 10900K review out of the box. Because out of the box, this does not enforce any power limits at all, and you're basically getting a free overclock on your processor. As long as you're not thermally constrained, it will just run at five, up to 5.3 gigahertz single core and 4.9 gigahertz all cores all day long. So get a good cooler, Enjoy the great performance and hope for the best because nobody knows what that will do for the the life of your processor if you run it at 250 watts all the time uh, in 10 years. We have we had we just don't know. But for now, throw a good thermal solution on it and you should be good to go. Uh, the ROG board also defaulted to an unlimited uh, state for the processor. All of them do. So and there've been I I linked to the discussions about this and on tech gamers Nexus did these in depth explorations into that and other board vendors just don't honor power limits and oems do they're they're kind of there for a reason they're they're there for like the dells of the world to implement a cost-effective thermal solution on the cpu and they have to honor the power limits or else they will exceed the capabilities of their aluminum heat sink that they're using so it, it makes sense but enough about that like i, I just briefly if you check out the review, I won't get into it here, but I, I went over some of the major components on the board, did kind of a PCB analysis. And they're using high-end components, but one of the interesting things about this board's design is that they are specifically targeting PCI Express 4.0 performance, and it's all over the packaging, it's all over the website. If you look on uh, the page, the product page for this board, they're advertising PCIe 4.0. So at first I thought maybe that's a remnant because they thought Intel was implementing it with this chipset, but they are not. Turns out it might be there. It's just sort of latent right now. They're waiting for the 11th gen processors to unlock this. They built this board from the ground up to be a PCI Express 4.0 board. They have a PCIe external clock generator. They went above and beyond with the actual construction of the slots. They implemented these PCI Express 4.0 switches which I guess are just down clock to do PCIe Gen 3 switching duties. Although there are some PCIe Gen 3 switches on this board as well, but they're, they're fully enabling 4.0 for a future theoretical processor that can support it. Some other things on this board, one in particular that was very interesting. I saw it was actually a non-tech that reported on this. It might've been one or two Computex shows ago, but there is a particular Try to find the name here. Um, 
USB controller. It's from AS Media, and it's their new ASM3242. This is a USB 3.2 2x2 controller, which I have not seen on anything else yet. So if you're after the absolute fastest USB potential performance from this, that is just I don't have anything to even test the full throughput of 3.2 2x2. So crazy fast potential USB performance from this. So there are some really good components on this board, but talking about those power limits, it, it, it seems to be built to maintain those really high power draws on the CPU because this is an actively cooled board. There are no fewer than three fans on the VRM heatsinks. There's one larger fan on the lower left uh, heatsink, and then the upper heatsink has these two tiny fans on the back, which I think are only 30 millimeters. I measured 30 millimeters from like edge of fan blade to edge of fan blade. But you know, and 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 people complain about X570 fans, and this has three of them. Yes. I, I will say two things. In- shut up, to- you X570 detractors. <laughs> you shut up. Yeah, don't hate X570 when you've heard these running at full load. You will you be shut running up. back to X570 board. This, these get really, really loud, but they don't run at all unless you really press the system. I couldn't get them to run at all under normal like benchmark conditions. I forced them to run. And they got pretty loud if you pushed them all the way up, but they're not too bad. And there's a reason they're semi-passive. And these are pretty big heat sinks anyway, so it, you probably won't ever hear them. But if you start running a really, like if you were to run a really intensive render operation or we're transcoding for a long time at very high frequencies, they will kick in and you will probably notice them depending on your case. But you can tune them. That was what I was going to mention is they're, they're tied into just normal fan headers on the board. So you can you have total fan curve control even for the VRM heat sinks, which I thought was really nice. So if you really want to, you can disable them. Or you can say never spin above this speed or have a very low fixed speed with them, whatever you prefer. Oh, and one last thing about this motherboard. Hey Josh, remember when we talked about the, the ASRock design of that lower armor that covers the M.2 slots? Oh boy. Is that a tomato? <laughs> You're muted, Josh. You're muted. You're muted. You're muted. It's going to be good, though. Okay. It's very nice. It's very nice. It smells good. And (laughs) I've been growing it since it was a seedling. Mm -hmm. And it's pot. It's a very nice pot. And I figured by end of July, I'll have tomatoes. Does the plant have a name? Judas. Good question. Judas? I figure it's going to betray. It's going to betray me in the end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for our audio-only listeners, you are missing out as Josh clutches a four-foot tomato plant in his lap. It's, it's real. a nice tomato plant. Okay, let's talk about the pot. Is that no, a resin? It's, pot? it's potted. It's a potted plant. I just no. It's not just. <laughs> is that terracotta or is it resin? No, it's plastic. It goes with punched holes in the bottom of it. I cracked it. I cracked it right up. Does it? Can you raise it up again? I'm sorry for the for the video watchers, video viewers. Does it have an integrated no. um, drip tray in the bottom or not? No, no. I, I oh, punched holes in it and I punched okay. I punched a big crack. It's uh, it looks uh, deceptively light. Uh, it's either that or you're you're obscene. I'm very strong. strong. I'm strong. Yeah. 
I think he's underwatering it, Brett. I think you've identified something here. If he can lift it that easily, he's not putting enough water in that pot. It's it's dry. It's dry. Yeah. 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 I've those leaves are not very green. Hey, unless you know where it's a saturation keep, issue with his. You know camera. where I keep my. You know, I've been plants. caring for this every day. I've been taking it inside to the warmth because it gets cold outside. It's Laramie. <laughs> We're at seventy two hundred feet. <laughs> Come around three o'clock in the morning. It's 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 forty two degrees outside. You know what? This you is going to be plants out there. An interesting CPU cooler to put a tomato plant on a nineteen hundred X. It's it's all nice about plant. the eco friendly options, guys. Right? It is anyway. You yes. know, I'm growing my own food. Yeah, I think no, I've and- talked enough about that motherboard. Read the review on the site if you want to know more. But it has three fans. Three fans. It does have yes, three it fans. Does have I, three the last thing fans. I was going to say is my last Azrock board, I complained loudly about the fact that you had to take the entire armor plate off the bottom half of the board just to get to an, an M.2 slot. And I'm not going to take credit for this, but they, they changed the design. You can actually separately take off the upper and lower heat sinks with two screws to get to your M.2 slots, which is nice. Although, for some reason, the CMOS battery, and this was the I said it in the review. Maury was right. He was right all along. CMOS battery placement on this board is abysmal. You have to take off the middle plate, which will be covered by your graphics card. You have to take it off with two screws on the top, and I had to take off two screws on the bottom as well because I couldn't get the plate off of the chipset heatsink. So I had to take the whole unit off. Once you do this, you can access the battery. But that entire plate has to come out, and you can't. I couldn't even do it with the motherboard installed in a case. I had to take it out to get to the bottom and get to my CMOS battery. So, CMOS battery placement, not ideal. On this it's not board. a serviceable part, so just forget it. There is a jumper. There is a jumper to like bypass, like to, to disable the battery to do a full uh, clear of the CMOS, but it doesn't come with a jumper. Like, I had to find an old jumper. Uh, and I couldn't, I couldn't even find an ID hard drive around here with all the junk I have. I had to, I had to get it off of an old, like socket 754 motherboard I have for some reason. And then I could reset the BIOS because I was having some weird boot issues that I beleaguered. Is that the right word? I was pestering the chat about this for like two days. I finally broke down and contacted the company and they, they said, check the CSM settings. Apparently on this motherboard, it's finicky about CSM settings. So just be warned. I, I wrote about it in the review. So anyway, check it out. It's the Tai Chi, the Z490 Tai Chi. It's $369 motherboard, but it's it's built like a really high-end board. And I was coming off of my last experience, which was an ROG board that retails for $750. Uh, so we're going to get into the picks of the week here. I just need to uh, pull up Josh's. Uh, Sebastian, did you have one you wanted to add? All right, so then, Josh, uh, you're up first with the first pick so of the I week. Did some, uh, I did some testing with uh, these stems because I was curious what 3200 to 3600 with low latency would actually do on a board in, in real-life stuff. And, and I discovered that there's – I'm not the first person who has talked about this. And in theory, by increasing the fabric clock up to the you know max 3733 speed, I believe. I can't remember exactly. Uh, that that you increase the performance of your Ryzen parts, and I thought, 
okay, you know, I've I've always said thirty two hundred is good enough. What if I had thirty six hundred that has the same cast latency? You know, sixteen, and uh, the results were good. If you had 16 gigs of memory, it is well worth your time to get 3600 memory with cast 12 latency. When you start getting into the 32 gig space and prices, you need to start looking at, is it better for me to upgrade my Ryzen processor to the next level up? Because in most cases, you're going to be doing better with that extra $50 from 3200 to 3600 stuff at cast 16 but anyway if you do want to go to 3600 with your ryzen these are excellent excellent little dims that uh you know 149 bucks i think 150 bucks uh well worth the price if if you're running something and you're like you know what i need more memory just go get this it'll enhance the current processor you have from the 3200 stuff Usually about four to five percent, which is not you know terrible, but you will notice it in 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 some of the applications you run. So it is a measurable improvement, and if you want to go that way, then these are really really nice little dims. All right, great. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Again, that's the G Skill Ripjaws Five uh, Memory Kit, uh, as Josh has pointed out, excellent for Ryzen at thirty six hundred megahertz uh, CL sixteen latency. Okay, Brett, you're up next. Hey, uh, pretty much uh, everybody's stuck at uh, one gigabit networking for affordability purposes. 10 gig has been kind of out of reach for a lot of people, even though motherboards are starting to shipping with starting to ship with 2.5G or 5G or maybe even 10G if you're really lucky. They're really kind of whipping you on the switching. Um, I happen to be looking for a solution because I'm looking to build an Unraid box and uh, how to get faster networking between my clients and the potential service. And I came across this Microtech device and it's designed to be a sort of receiver for transceivers. And it's a fairly modestly priced. And you, if you know the market for 10 gigabit networking, you know, at $138 roughly for the basic device for switching, it's actually a very reasonable entry point. The SPF Plus ports on this are designed to receive transceivers such as a um, CAT6 transceiver, which I also linked to, which will allow you to use... Uh, 5e over uh, short runs or cat six up to about a hundred feet um, the 5e will will likely give you potentially 2.5 or 5g uh, networking 5 gig um, but if you're under 100 feet it will uh, over cat six uh, cat 6a I believe give you up to uh, the full bandwidth availability on this and $138 plus $40 for a few of the transceivers is really a very modest price for uh, 10 gigabit networking, especially if you're looking into getting in, uh, getting into a NAS that potentially has it, Synology, Asus, um, QNAP. They all have 2.5, 5G or 10G options nowadays. And it's not always easy to get a networking switch that's going to be able to accommodate those speeds. And this is a reasonable price way to get at it. 
So you, you mean I can actually utilize my 2.5G Ethernet connection relatively inexpensively? Straight face, kid you not. <sighs> Thank the Lord. Been waiting for this forever. Under a couple because hundred not bucks. Like, uh, not like I ever actually use that kind of speed in my network, but still, min-max, dude, it's, min-max. It's, it's good to know that it's there, and if you're the kind of person who modifies everything and is like, I'm leaving performance on the table, and that bothers you at a subliminal level, you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? You know, it kind of gets at you like, I am not optimized to the degree that I could be. This is the way to get there for not a tremendous amount of money. All right. So, again, that's the uh, Microtech five-port uh, switch with the four uh, 10-gig SFP plus uh, ports. And then uh, Brett link, also linked for us those uh, transceivers that let you go from uh, SFP to uh, Cat5 or Cat5e or 6, uh, depending on the length and speed you're looking for. We'll have links to those in the show notes. Um, all right. Mine is uh, I've got two sort of picks uh, because I found the or I was reminded of the one pick through this other pick. So I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before, but a podcast I listen to regularly is called the Retro Computing Roundtable. And uh, it's just a neat little podcast. They 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 kind of publish uh, irregularly, like sometimes they'll go three weeks without a show and then they'll do three shows in three days. Uh, but they it's a bunch of guys who are in their 40s and 50s and 60s who kind of grew into their young adulthood and then into their careers in the early days of computing. And they've got all these great stories and experiences and memories of all these old platforms, be it Apple and Mac or uh, Amiga and early IBM PC stuff. And uh, they've had a you know, couple hundred episodes. Uh, they're not, not all of them or, or most of them aren't timely. So you can go back and you can listen to them at any point. It's not like the, the stuff they're talking about is no longer relevant. Uh, and that's just a fun uh, show if you're interested in that stuff. And then on a recent episode, they, uh, referenced a book I had read years ago and I didn't realize there were that many sequels to it. Uh, so I figured I'd mention it. Uh, it's a series. I guess the series has now been called magic 2.0. It's a book series by author Scott Meyer. And, uh, the first book, which I read shortly after it was released a few years ago was off to be the wizard. And then he has since released uh, several more books. So there's six books in the series now as of last December and they're fun little reads. Um, the plot is that this character who's like this 20 something computer nerd finds a file on the, on some network that that doesn't make any sense. And it has references to reality in it, like him and his height. And he starts playing with it. And he realizes that all of existence is a computer simulation. And he has uncovered this master file that dictates that simulation. And obviously things, he, he kind of goes into a depression and he's in denial. And then, he starts to accept it and he finds out he's not the only one who's discovered this. And a trend with all the people who discover this is they can't help themselves once they realize what it is. And they start doing things like giving themselves millions of dollars or making their car like indestructible so they can ram it full speed into a brick wall and nothing happens. And and that inevitably attracts the attention of, of the authorities. And so one of the other aspects of this is you can travel through time and go backwards in time through through manipulating this file so they all say, well, where should we go in our history of our simulation? Let's go back to medieval England and be wizards, because then these powers we now have would fit in and nobody would question us. We'll just say we're wizards. And so uh, that was the, the first book. And obviously, they've I have to get into the rest of them, but uh, it was really fun. It's a fun read. I listened to the audible, audible version. It's, it's well, well narrated, uh, about 10 hours. 
uh, you know, so it's not, it's not technically accurate. It's a, it's like a fiction book, but it's kind of fun and, and, and nerdy in that sense. So check that out. The magic. It's a great idea. Series. It's a great idea. It's Gary's mod plus. Yeah. Right. Anybody knows what I'm talking about? Yes. The plus being um, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court. Well, time travel. Oh. Gary's mod did not have time travel. Oh, okay. Well, they were, they were the, waiting the for time travel Half-Life back 3. to become a wizard to use your modern abilities. That was the whole premise. Of Wait, the what, what was the, the Disney uh, space man who went back to? It was based on King Arthur's court. This was in the 70s. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I was I lost at hello. If I can find what you're talking about, I'll put something in post here. Uh, but, uh, well, that's that's the show for this week. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Uh, I do want to make a, a note because I guess a couple people didn't catch the uh, the intent or maybe we went too far with it last week. Uh, but we were one of our stories last week was was talking about Ryan Shrout, our former editor in chief, who has worked at Intel for I'm getting close to two years now. Uh, he posted something about Tiger Lake and we made fun of him. But it, it, intentionally, it, it, good natured fun. We we didn't mean to be mean. It wasn't. It was all tongue in cheek. A couple people bristled at that. Maybe said, you what? didn't mean to be mean. Okay, fine. But oh yeah, I can't speak for anyone else. Did Ryan but... contact you? Did Ryan say you were mean? I'm oh, crying. absolutely. I I get a long string of like ex girlfriend like he, text he messages made fun from of my after every. That's all he said to me. Yeah. <laughs> No, so, you know, it's a, t- it's a team red microphone, obviously. It's like, oh, nice red microphone. Unidentified flying oddball. Spaceman goes back to King Arthur's Court. Yeah, okay. it's based on, anyway, Connecticut Yankee. Unidentified yes. flying oddball. All right, well, we'll link to that Yeah, 1979. Well. <laughs> but uh, just a... Uh, 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 for, to be clear, you know, we Ryan, I mean, Ryan is fair game because he now works for the industry. So we will criticize him if it deserves it. But that was just us giving him crap for no reason. So uh, sorry to anyone who felt that way. We love you, Ryan and Alan and Ken. Uh, so uh, and, and we love you in the audience. And we're glad you could join us for this Friday show. Uh, so please uh, do check out our uh, podcast page at pcpro.com slash podcast where we have these show notes. Uh, and we'll link to everything we talked about, including the picks of the week. And that obscure movie movie just uh, referenced by Josh there. And uh, also in those show notes is a link to our Discord where you can join our Discord community. And then real quick, let me just check our emails, make sure I didn't receive any other Patreon messages. I haven't checked throughout the show. Do, do we have any links to, to horticulture? Do you know what to say about horticulture? You can lead a horticulture, but never mind. Okay. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Um, it was a good run. And, uh, and we're canceled. I, I, thought, yes. I really hoped we'd get to 600, but it's just not going to happen. Not going to happen. Not, no. Not gonna happen. Uh, to everyone out there, please uh, stay safe, be well, and we'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks.